As we begin, let's just look to the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we look at your word, uh, that we will uh, heed what it has to say and, and that we'll be encouraged by it. Uh, Father, we thank you that we believe here that um, the things that happen prior to and after the message are not simply warm-ups and closings, but they are all uh, very important parts of worshiping you. And as we have worshiped you together in song, and as we have raised our hearts together in prayer, both in worship and also in uh, just interceding for others, we thank you that you hear us, and we thank you that if we have come here and, and our, our desire is to uh, uplift your name, that you are pleased with that. And Lord, we, we do want to please you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the last several weeks, we have been looking into the scriptures to better understand the kingdom of God. And today I want to direct our attention to women of the kingdom. Our study will not be all-inclusive, obviously, and we won't be able to dive deep into some of the texts that we are going to be looking at as we look at each woman's life that we'll be considering. But there are several key women who are part of of the lineage of Christ, and more specifically, what we have studied is God's promise plan. Now, we won't look exclusively at women who are involved in, in Christ's lineage, but mostly. They're a direct part of the coming of Christ, and we know that he is the centerpiece of the kingdom of God because he is the king. And I also want to note that the majority of these women are a part of our study today because of their roles as mothers. You're going to see that. So it does fit into what we're doing because obviously it's something that, that uh, our, our women are just a, a part of being. So as we consider this, um, and I missed the introduction, sorry. We're going to first talk about Sarah. And Sarah, uh, as we talk about her, we're going to talk about faith in the impossible. Faith in the impossible. We have recently considered God's promise to Abraham to give him a land an offspring, and to bless him. And Abraham was told that many nations would come from him, and we know that he was to begin God's chosen nation that would someday be called Israel. It wasn't labeled then, but we know that that's what took place. But Abraham's wife, Sarah, was with him every step of the way. And the Lord personally identified her as part of his promise plan. As we look at Genesis 17, verses 15 through 16, it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of many nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Now, just as a brief note, the word Sarai means my princess, which is a little bit limiting as far as what God wanted to accomplish in her life. And so he slightly changed her name to Sarah, which simply means princess. In other words, royalty, right? To match her role as the mother of many nations. Also, we see here that God promised her really a double blessing. He promised her blessing of a child and then blessing as being the mother of many nations. Now, we know that Sarah doubted God would follow through on his promise. And I want us to look back at Genesis chapter 18 
to take a look at that. And we're going to keep things moving this morning because I want to be conscious of the fact that you probably have Mother's Day plans. So I'm going to just begin reading here. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And then they said to him, and this day was, was when uh, the pre-incarnate Christ and the angels were, were speaking to um, uh, Abraham about his promise, right? About the promise of God. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the, in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, uh, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At that point, at that appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And so we see here that um, she kind of got called on the carpet there. But this was the promise. But sometimes we forget that Abraham also doubted. Look at chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. Uh, this is right along the same lines here. And, and I will bless her and and also give you a son by her, and then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of many nations. Kings and people shall be from her. We read that a little bit earlier, but then look what it says. Then Abraham, upon hearing this, right, what does he do? He fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So they both had the same reaction. You know, we like to look at Sarah and say, Well, she laughed. That's awful, you know. Abraham fell over laughing. Okay. Sarah did doubt God's word about having a child at first, but a New Testament reference clearly explains that she believed God. Hebrews 11:11 11, 11 says this, by faith Sarah herself after receive also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Wow, that is a powerful testimony. Now, we should also appreciate that Sarah went with, went with her husband and experienced all that Abraham experienced. In other words, when he was called out of what is then called Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you this place, she went with him. So ladies, what if your husband, and we can all kind of just imagine this, told you that God spoke to him and made him a promise. But receiving this promise means leaving everything and everyone you have known and travel to a remote part of, well, let's say, Peru, country, where God will bless you and make you a great nation that will one day be a blessing to the world. How would you respond to your husband? Sarah also endured childlessness including remaining childless, obviously, for years after God had given her his promise. So Sarah ultimately had faith, and God truly blessed her along with Abraham, just as he promised he would do. Now, I'm going to share a couple of things now, just to kind of illustrate this a little bit. 
and and just so you know, I have permission to to to, to share this uh, part part of this. Anyway, uh, we have some friends here today, uh, Ken and Cassidy Eaton. And uh, how long have you guys been married? Fifteen years. Mother's Day is sometimes hard for them because, like Maggie and me, they were not able to have children until very recently. Cassidy is expecting, but they have been waiting a long time. Unlike Abraham and Sarah, they weren't given any promises. And I mentioned to you that uh, it was a little bit different for Maggie and me. We did not have children. And there was a certain point in our lives when we thought to ourselves, oh my goodness, what if we do now? (laughs) Do all that stuff. Anyway, we also have friends, uh, another couple, and by the way, uh, Cassidy grew up in our youth group, and um, uh, the the, the young woman that I'm talking about now also uh, was part of our youth group and then married some fine men. They were also childless until recently until they adopted two children that they were caring for in foster care. They've been foster caring for a number of years, and they have two little ones that they just recently adopted. I didn't ask permission about this, but I I, I hope that I'm given forgiveness about this one. But one of the proudest moments that I've ever had as a brother was when Brian and Lydia uh, chose to take their son Matthew to term. Um, Matthew died very soon after he was born. And they knew that he had some very catastrophic um, uh, issues, genetic issues. But they brought him to term because they valued life and they trusted God. So what is my point in sharing all of these things? Every person's story is different, but God is is always in control. God is always good. God has a plan, and he allows us to participate in it. And so, folks, as we think of Sarah, and we think of some of the varying emotional stories that I just gave you, boy, she experienced a lot of that. But she was a woman of faith. And then we have Rahab. Sorry, one more slide here. Um, this, this is talking about how Sarah believed. These are these all, now we're talking about now these all being uh, those who were the patriarchs. We had uh, Abraham, including Sarah, and so that's why I put her name in here, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of the promises and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Well, wait a minute. God promised them a homeland, right? But look at what it says. Seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then we need to talk about Rahab. Rahab was, frankly, a sinful Canaanite woman. But Hebrews 11.31 tells us this, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. 
as we go through some of these stories, I'm going to be very careful how I mention some of these things. So just giving us a brief background now on, on the, the situation that we're in here. Joshua sent two spies into Canaan specifically to spy out Jericho. That was that first large city they were going to encounter as they were going to take the land that God had given to them. But word got out in Jericho that spies were among them. And the spies sought refuge in the home of Rahab. Now, there are many opinions about Rahab's occupation. But it seems that she did that what she did for a living was socially acceptable in her culture. Could have been related to uh, some type of idol worship or any number of things. Um, but there's also some speculation, but but some some evidence behind the fact that she may this may have been tied to her running something like an inn that would have been frequented by men, and so the spies would have gone here to kind of hide. You know, you got these people coming and going. You have strangers that are there. And it would have been a place where they would have kind of blended in, so to speak. And so that's probably why they were there. So I want us to read a section of, of um, Joshua chapter 2 to, again, give us the, the, the background, the context of this. Joshua 2, beginning in verse 8. <clears throat> we know that she hid the spies, um, but I want you... And again, I, I know that not everyone is... is Extremely familiar with these stories, but that's okay. Um, as they had spied out the land, they sought out her help. She hid them. And I'm just going to look uh, beginning in verse 8. So before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. That's where she hid them and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of, of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For, for you when you came out of Egypt and that you did to the kings of the Amorites who are on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth. By the way, just, just a brief aside. How long ago had they crossed the Red Sea? 40 years. This, this reputation was 40 years old and they were still afraid because they saw what God was doing. All right. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you this kindness to, to my father's house and uh, I'm sorry, that you also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the, uh, she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your household to your own home, 
So it was, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of, of, of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Then they departed and went to the mountains and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. So this is the story that we see of what was going on with Rahab, okay? So as we mentioned, we've got these spies, they've gone in, and what I want us to just, just recall here, and what I just read is this, that Rahab said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, in verse 9. And then verse 11, she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth. So what we need to understand here is this. Because sometimes I think we get this idea, oh, these poor people, you know, God sent his people in and, and, and destroyed them. Didn't Rahab just say that they all knew? That they all saw what God had done? These are the same people that stood on the wall in defiance, Right? But Rahab believed. That's what this is. This is a testimony. I, I am recognizing God for who he is. I fear him. And I want to follow him. So then we see in Joshua 6, verses 22 and 25, but Joshua had said, to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then just as an aside, but a very important aside as we talked about with this idea of motherhood and God blessing her and all these other things, Look at what Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 says. And Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz's mother was Rahab. And we'll get to that in just a moment. More, more to it. So here's this very sinful foreigner, Canaanite woman, idol worshiper, who God graciously revealed himself to. And she responded in faith. The next person we have is Ruth, a converted Moabite woman. First off, Ruth's ethnicity was against her. Being from Moab was worse than being from Canaan. And the best way that I can illustrate this is, is that, you know, you have Michigan fans. <laughs> That's like Canaanites. Okay. Then you have like, Moabite fans, I mean Moabite fans, Moabites who are Notre Dame fans, okay? I mean, I, I know I'm going to offend somebody, sorry, but you, you Michigan, Notre Dame, you know, that's, that's kind of the way it goes, okay? So <laughs> you're only going to remember the illustration, right? But anyway, the point is this, 
The Ammonites and Moabites were two people groups who came from the illicit relationship between Lot and his two daughters. Just as the Israelites are descendants of Israel or Jacob, these two peoples were descendants of Ammon and Moab, hence their names. Ruth was a widow of a man from Judah whose disobedient family tried to escape God's corrective judgment by moving to Moab. In other words, the land was under judgment. They opted out. Well, God basically said, no, that's not how you're going to learn your lesson. And so her husband died. Ruth was a widow, and here she is now kind of, what do I do, right? But she believed in the Lord and chose to leave all that she knew and serve her mother-in-law in a land completely foreign to her. Ruth 1.16 says this, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you. This is Naomi. She's speaking to Naomi. To return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I am completely identifying with not only you, but the God that you serve. So at some point in that household, she understood who the Lord was. And the Lord chose to bless her and made her a part of Christ's lineage. We'll first look at Ruth chapter 2, verses, part of verse 8 and verses 10 and 12. Then Boaz said to Ruth, this is, again, we're jumping forward in the story. There was a man who was a near kinsman to her, all right? Remember, she was a widow, and he uh, basically chose to marry her. This foreigner says, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in another field, nor go from here. And so she fell into her face, bowed down to, to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice, take notice of me? And obviously this is prior to their marriage. Since... I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Isn't that beautiful? So she did the work as the law allowed a poor person who was gathering after Boaz reapers. And he says, you stay here, I will take care of you. Don't go to somebody else's field. You stay here and I will take care of you. And I will take care of you because of the faith that I see in your life. Because of the faithfulness I see in your life. And again, we have another part of the story. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Wow. There are only a, f- a few women who are mentioned in the lineage of Christ, and obviously these are two of them. And I want to talk to you about Bathsheba, a violated woman. For both time and consideration for our audience that we have this morning, I will give a brief and careful overview of David's actions toward Bathsheba. Bathsheba was another man's wife, but King David coveted her. He inquired about her. 
He sent messengers to get her, and then he violated Bathsheba and then sent her home. Time would reveal that she was pregnant. To cover up his sin, David arranged for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, one of David's own mighty men, to be killed in battle. As we look at 2 Samuel verses, sorry, chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, it says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There are those who believe that Bathsheba was a willing accomplice and that she may have even actively seduced King David with, we'll say, her rooftop hygiene. Okay? Others are of the opinion that Bathsheba took advantage of her pregnancy as an opportunity to improve her position in life. I'm just going to tell you, I fully admit this morning that I'm going against the majority of opinions. I'm not going to judge you for what you believe, but folks, I'm telling you, I strongly argue that Bathsheba was the victim of David's lust. I cannot find anything in Scripture of Bathsheba either actively or passively being blamed, judged, or punished for any wrongdoing regarding what happened between her and King David. Nothing. These sins are far too serious, and we have... Many examples of God punishing guilty women along with their guilty partners to think that he would record nothing if Bathsheba actively participated in this. Furthermore, we have what is written in detail that, that David actively, deliberately chose to sin against God, against Bathsheba, and against Uriah. God also exclusively confronted David and judged him. Now, that being said, the sad truth is that many women can relate to Bathsheba. Just over half of the females in the United States have had something physically inappropriate done to them. One in four women have had relations against their will. These are all very terrible violations against women. Like today, when someone uses some form of power to take advantage of a woman, David took advantage of Bathsheba. Yet even though David already had sons from other wives, God chose to honor Bathsheba by having her son Solomon be the king of Israel to carry the royal lineage of Christ. And again, we go to the scriptures. And Jesse begot David, the king, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So even in this, what does God, through his inspired word, do? He honors Uriah. <laughs> Isn't that something? So this tells me that even though someone here, man or woman, may have experienced something like this, God has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about you. But God obviously honors women. Then one other one we have is Mary. The focus of God's grace. 
Again, I want to read for you from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Um, this is probably going to be very familiar to most of us because this is part of the, the Christmas story. But it says in verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So just to kind of let us visualize this, I put up a couple of verses here, and we see that Mary was called the favored one and said that she had found favor with God. Now again, most of us know this from Mary's um, involvement in the story, the Christmas story, and obviously she had a big part in that. But this is a situation where tradition has taken glory away from God. Who is the real focus of the angel's proclamation? Is it Mary? Or is it the one who favored her? The focus is on God who has given a special favor or grace to Mary by giving her the privilege of giving birth to the Son of God and being his mother. Other than the fact that she too was in the lineage of David, there isn't any particular reason given or any quality given for God to choose Mary. But tradition kind of venerates her and and, and I think makes this more than what is. By the way, I'm I'm not... condemning her either i'm sure that she was a fine young woman but the point is this it was god's favor that was given to her it was god himself who was graciously allowing her this privilege wow he simply chose her so here's the thing about that i can actually relate to mary There's anything particularly good about me or special. If anything, it's the opposite. But God chose me. How about you? Can you relate to the fact that God placed his grace upon you? So Mary was given a very special place of honor simply because God was gracious to her. And we know that in that motherhood, there was great pain as she had to witness her son, right? Giving his life for sinners. Um, we know at some point she lost her husband along the way. And so she, she had, you know, a life that is not the focus of all of these things, but there's still some realities here. And yet this was a woman who took this on 
This was a woman who fulfilled the will of God in her life. And then lastly, and this is where we kind of depart a little bit because Mary obviously is named in the lineage of Jesus, okay? <laughs> Won't surprise anybody there, is that we have the woman at the well. And I read that account earlier, and we'll, we'll reference that, but she was an immoral Samaritan woman. Now, we know from the context of this chapter that these events took place about four months after Jesus' first Passover. John 4.35 tells us, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. Well, this is an important verse, but we're taking that little nugget out of there where we have to go back, right, and realize that as we look at the timing of this, that, that it was right around the time when, when they were celebrating this, this, um, this Passover, okay? And so we have here then, as we move forward, John 2, 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the Lord's divine meeting with the Samaritan woman took place early in his ministry. That's the point that I want us to make here. So hold on to that information for just a moment. So he's the way, the way we get these reference points going, it simply means that he's talking from the viewpoint of his first Passover after he began his ministry. So we're early on in his ministry. So then we need to look at the Samaritan woman's heritage. We see from the context that she questioned Jesus about why the Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. You remember this verse in 4.9? Then this woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Please notice the last phrase is not a quote from the woman. It's an explanation by the author John. He's filling in the blanks as to why she asked this question. You don't have any dealings with us is, is, is really what he's filling in. The Samaritans descended from Jews. The Assyrians left behind when they deported the northern tribes of Israel. This happened when they conquered them. They intermarried for 400 years I'm sorry, for hundreds of years, sorry, with the peoples the Assyrians imported into the region and they corrupted their bloodline. And that's why the Jews didn't like them, those who had kept to themselves in those who remained, primarily the tribe of Judah. So they were despised by the Jews because of this. Now, that's all the details that we're going to give about that. Again, there, there's a, a lot more. But the point is that this woman already had a major strike against her. She was, she was not of the right people group. But now let's look at the Samaritan woman's personal background. During Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, he revealed to her that he knew her past. She had had five husbands and now was living with another man. So how does this woman respond to what Jesus said? She says, Verses 19 and 20 in chapter 4. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, this is one of those kind of understated phrases in Scripture, right? But, so it goes on. Our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we're not to worship. 
Now, folks, I, I probably taught on this before, but I believe that what happened here is she realized, you know things. I have this burning question, right? He just told her, I know your past, and it's ugly. And then she says, I have a question about worship. I mean, you know, we wonder, how did, it's, it's because of what he just said to her. The fact that she didn't know him, he didn't know her. Except he did, right? So then Jesus replied to her. He said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will work neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Okay, now he's talking about, okay, you have your way of doing things, we have ours. Neither one of those are going to be important for very long here, right? We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and he emphasizes this, right? And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? So it's not just a spiritual thing, and it's not just a factual thing. It is spiritual and it is truthful. You have to worship the right God the right way. This woman is a reminder that women are not only sinners, but are just as capable of men at some significant sinning. So we go back to this idea that I mentioned before, that this account took place near the beginning of Christ's ministry. So Jesus began to give the gospel to non-Jews early on in his ministry. My point, including this woman, is that I believe she represents what the new covenant or promise in Christ is all about. That Christ can save anyone. His grace is greater than our wrong understandings of God and worship. His grace and love are greater than our cultural or ethnic background and greater than our sin, no matter what we have done. So no, this woman is not in Christ's lineage, but she perfectly represents Christ's legacy. So as we then can consider you know, what this is all about, we come to the part of the message where we ask, what's the point? So the story of the women we, we include in the unfolding of God's promise represent all people. If you think about it, all of these women that we're talking about, they represent all types of people. These women are shining examples of how God brings those who chose to be a part of the kingdom, regardless of their gender or their background or their nationality. He's the one who chose them. It doesn't matter what, what they were about. As a matter of fact, some of these women are key characters in God's plan for his kingdom. Some of these women foreshadowed the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. That Abraham's offspring would be a blessing to the nations. The blessing was ultimately Jesus, the chosen one from God. That's the one that prior to this they were looking for. And that's the one that this woman at the well realized who was speaking to her. Do you remember what he said? I'm the one talking to you. 
I'm he. I'm the I am. So none of these women were mere extras or honorable mentions in God's redemptive story. They were integral characters in God's plan. Collectively, these women give us strong examples of faith, courage, character, self-sacrifice, wisdom, strength, and many other fine qualities. But I want to save one part of the woman at the well story as just an example of all this. John 4, 28 through 30 says this, The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then the men went out of the city and came to Jesus. Now, allow me just a little bit of creative interpretation to make a point. Uh, we understand that this woman was not extremely successful with men, okay? Uh, she had five husbands, but she picked up something along the right way, right? Notice that she didn't say, hey, everyone, I just talked with the Christ. They wouldn't have listened to her. She, she wasn't a part of mainstream society. Instead, she understood that men are problem solvers. And she said to them, again, excuse my creativity here a little bit. Hey, you wise and powerful men. I just met someone who told me my whole life story. Could he be the Messiah? So the men cleared their throats and puffed out their chests and said, Stand aside, ma'am. We'll check this out for you. <laughs> Is that not what happened? Again, if she would have said, hey, I just met the Messiah, they'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. But she came in and said, could you help me? She's smart. And what's interesting is what was their response later? They said, we heard what you said. But now that we've heard what he said, we believe. So getting back to a more general overview. We need to consider where each of these women started and how the Lord worked in and through them. Right? Think about some of the, their backgrounds and their humble beginnings and, and all these different things and how God worked through them. It's also obvious that part of the Lord's plan for many of these women was their vital role of motherhood. Many of you are moms or grandmothers, and like these women, you are making and can continue to make a significant impact for the kingdom of God. You just simply do God's will in your life. That's what these women did. They lived by faith. Applying this more broadly, every woman can make a significant impact for God's kingdom by living like these ladies. And then, taking this even one step further, men, every person in Christ in this room can make a significant impact for the kingdom if we live by faith. Very simple faith, right, right folks? Lots of different circumstances. But what brought all these women together? Some of them, we see some very difficult situations 
They trusted God. And God honored them. God chose them. I know sometimes that Christianity in general is given a knock because some of the things in the scriptures don't line up exactly how society thinks that men's and women's roles ought to be and things like that. And frankly, there really aren't many things that um, the Bible is exclusive about. Men are to lead the home. Men are to lead in the church. Men led in the, um, the temple and the tabernacle. I think that God intended for men to be kings of his nation. But there are plenty of examples of women of faith. Again, they're not there for window dressing. They're there for a very important, specific message that God created man and woman in his image. And God definitely, specifically chooses who are his. And in Christ, there is no male or female. That's got nothing to do with the gender we were born with. It has to do with the fact that in him, it also has to do with poor or, or, or uh, rich. Well, let me tell you something. Just because God says there are no poor or rich doesn't make you rich or poor. You are who you are. The point is, it doesn't matter to him. What matters is how we respond. What matters is, is how we live according to his standard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the mothers in my life. I thank you so much for the many godly examples that I have seen around me and have benefited from. Lord, I believe that every one of us could tell stories of women who have been through some very difficult circumstances but have kept their confidence in you. We thank you that you have used them in our lives to teach us, to help mold us, to give us lessons to grow by and examples to learn from. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will encourage us by these very specific women and so many more that you told us about, that you marked out as examples of those who are a part of your kingdom. We love you and we thank you that you ultimately sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, to lay his life down. Yes, only to take it up again, but to lay his life down as a sacrifice for sin. As the means of redeeming us, of buying us back from the life that we were living apart from you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone in this room who needs to know you as Savior and maybe isn't quite sure exactly what that means today, 
I pray that they will seek one of us out so that we can share from your word what it means to place our faith and our full confidence in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Again, we thank you, Lord, for the mothers in our lives, and we pray that you'll bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.